Hello, ladies and gentlemen, gentle fish and gentle women. Welcome to the Tuesday Podcast, broadcast to you today for your listening pleasure, to pleasure your ear holes and titillate your brain. And I know now that the title of this podcast is totally irrelevant because this is going up on a Saturday at best, and it has nothing to do with Tuesdays. It's not even labeled the Tuesday broadcast, but that's the title. I'm sticking to my guns on this one. Uh, hardcore sticking to my guns. Gonna just, you know, super glue my hands to this Colt 45 and two zigzags, because baby, that's all we need. Today we're going to be talking about uh, train spotting too, and by we I mean me and my multiple personalities. So let's let's jump into it. It's actually kind of funny. Um, I just saw Guardians of the Galaxy two, and I'll be talking about a different movie uh, instead of the movie that's fresh on my mind. Um, I saw the second Guardians of the Galaxy without actually having seen the first Guardians of the Galaxy. So, for all two of you who are listening to this and have watched both, uh, you may be outraged. I I allow you that outrage. It's okay. Uh, for the rest of you who are not listening to this, you are not catching on. And for the rest of you who are listening and do not care about the sequence of any movie, or its sequel, or its prequel, or its related Universe movie, uh, you may continue listening without outrage. That is also acceptable. Uh, Trainspotting 2 was amazing on multiple levels, um, largely because there was just so much that was undone from the first train spotting. Um, I, I like to, to summarize whenever I talk about train spotting to somebody who hasn't seen train spotting or hasn't seen it in a while. Uh, I like to sort of sum it up, and I don't necessarily do it the best justice, but when I sum up train spotting, I basically say that it's a story about, you know, drugs and bad people. And sort of the. Uh, the destruction of lives, but not necessarily the destruction of lives that you would initially expect. It's it's almost like it's always sunny in Philadelphia, uh, and yes, I'm gonna make that comparison. Uh, train spotting to it's always sunny in Philadelphia because the characters in it's always sunny in Philadelphia are not good people, and they do bad things, and rarely do they. Uh, see consequences of their actions affect them personally. Rarely are they punished for their misconduct. Usually, uh, their misconduct happens at the expense of other people. And, you know, that's... They go on from there. They, they don't learn a lesson. They continue being terrible. And essentially, train spotting, I feel, is a story about how it's not even necessarily it's a linear story but it's it's almost just lifelike you know life doesn't necessarily happen in 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 units of story form it's kind of like a lot of shit just going on and then it's like oh yeah by the way this is an adventure that we went on here's some of the stuff that was going on here's some backstory for you here's some unnecessary 
items that are necessary because it's a story about me. You know, it's a, it's a story about a certain character or a group of characters, and it's just a it's almost like a um like a survey class. Uh, if you're you know if you were to take a survey class on a person for a period of time, that's essentially what the movie is. And this is not a good summation, uh, because a summation should be shorter than the length of the movie, and my explanation was probably about the length of the entire movie. That's how long you have just been listening to me ramble through a headset that sounds as though I'm talking to you on a cell phone. And I have just spoken for approximately an hour and 40 minutes in summation of a movie. Which is kind of like this, you know, when they used to have you uh, summarize a paragraph in a paragraph. It's like, may as well just write the same paragraph. That's what you're asking me to do. That's what I have done for this movie. If I were to give it a, a, a script length review, that is essentially what I've just done. So, Train Spotting 2 uh, comes in, I think it's, I don't know, 20 years later, following with the actual release of the movies 20 years later. Excuse me. <coughs> um, so, obviously, the action takes place after the action in Train Spotting, and... and uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm going to spoil all the movies. For those of you who do know, just a brief recap, because, you know. Um, the end of Trainspotting, we have a story about a a a, a drug steal and deal, and then the steal again, and our main character, uh, Ewan McGregor, runs off with all of the money. I believe it's uh, 16 big ones whatever big ones are over there. I think that's quid or not pounds because that's the smaller one. Crowns? Quid. I feel like quid is the... I, I don't I like squid. Maybe that's why I think that quid is the larger denomination in foreign currency. I, I am not an expert in foreign currency. I do not know what the currency is. But whatever it is, it's I believe it's sixteen big ones, um, and they're supposed to they're supposed to split it four ways, and our main character Ewan McGregor runs off with all of the money, and his reason is kind of like I'm just a bad person, and essentially like the message that you know you sort of take from that is that uh, regardless of the fact that people are on drugs, you know, you're still the person that you are. So if you do shitty things while you're on drugs, you were probably a shitty person before that. And I, I obviously, I'm not a doctor, I do not know, I'm not a, you know, I do not claim to be an expert in this field, but this is sort of the message that you get at the end of train spotting that he is just a bad person because at this point in time he's clean, um, he had been clean for a bit, and he got back on the heroin, and, you know, off and on the heroin, it's sort of like, you know, you are who you are no matter what you're being affected by. 
And so he steals the money because he's not a good person. You know, that's that's what he's he's telling you. He's like, why did I do it? Ah, I'm just not a good person. Sort of thing. So you can see it as an excuse for the actions or whatever. But what happens is he gets out of there. He runs away, obviously, because Begbie... Um, I think it's Francis, Frank, Fran, Francis, Francis, yeah. Uh, Francis is an extremely violent person, and if he were to catch Mark Ewan McGregor, he would kill him, uh, because he's killed people for a lot less. Um, and so it's one of those things where you're kind of like, oh, wow, that was a dick move, but also... He's got the money, he's leaving, he's he's getting away from that life, and you think at the end, hey, maybe things are looking up. And then you see uh, Spud, the, the most simple-minded of the group, um, he's compensated uh, his share of the money, four grand. Or four, yeah. I'm going to say grand, because I feel like big ones is ridiculous. I could be talking about anything that's large in comparison to other things of the same kind. You know, just like big ones, big eyes or something. Either way. So we have sort of a feel-good ending. Like, not a traditional orthodox feel-good ending. You know, guy gets the girl or you know, reunited with family, or disaster averted, or people die but they're together in death, you know, not one of those traditional feel-good endings, but we have an ending that is seemingly as positive as the events of the movie uh, could, um, could give us. So... We see, we see that at the ending. Uh, Begbie, who's the violent, violent, uh, violent main character, we see him, you know, not get his way, and he's foiled, and he's as close to an antagonist as we get, even though he's like the friend, you know, he's he's the violent friend of the group that you you kind of keep around because you like him, but then at the same time you're a little afraid and. Not 100% sure why you keep him around, because he's kind of a dick all the time, but he's like a friend, and he's been around for a while, so it's kind of one of those things that's just like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be friends with this person, but we are, so it's kind of too late. <clears throat> that's the sort of friend that he is, and he's the closest thing that we have to an antagonist in the movie. And so he's foiled. Uh, Johnny Lee Miller... <coughs> Johnny Lee Miller's character, Sick Boy, uh, or Simon, he is also sort of foiled, but mainly with him, it's that Mark got away from him. Um, he's sort of the toxic friend that's like your, quote, best friend, but they just sort of drag you down a bunch. I'm not saying that all best friends do that. I'm just saying that that's sort of his role in Mark's life, that he's a best friend that drags him down and is just a, not a great influence. So we have Mark getting away from all of that. Begbie getting foiled. Spud getting some cash. And so we feel good at the end of that. Train Spotting 2 takes all of that and shits all over it. Uh, we open up. Mark has like some sort of heart 
thing. You know, we, we don't know this until later on, but you kind of think that, oh, shit, he had a stroke or he had a heart attack or something because he's running on a treadmill and then he just falls down. You know, in classic sort of just fucking... Uh, just jolting style, you know. You're watching the running, you're hearing the music, you're like, yeah, and then he just goes down. Music stops, slams down, hits the post, and Bob's your uncle. And then, you know, it's it's sort of a, hey, where are they now? And then let's enter the action. So then we see Spud. Spud tells this heartbreaking story about how he didn't know that daylight savings time was a thing and because of it he lost his job because he came in an hour late and because he lost his job and because he didn't know about daylight savings time he was an hour late to appeal for like workman's compensation or 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 whatever you know unemployment or something like that uh money you get when you get fired (laughs) so he's an hour late to appeal for that so he doesn't get any money for that and he's it either leads to his divorce or it doesn't help the fact that he's divorced and so he doesn't get to see his kids. And basically he loses everything because he doesn't know about daylight savings time because daylight savings time isn't important to someone who's just trying to get high all the time. And so this is, you know, a story that he explains and this is where he's at. And then we see Begbie. I think we actually see Begbie before. And he was he's in prison for various crimes if not one then the other and he's not getting out anytime soon um and we see simon who's blackmailing uh a school principal because he has a recording of the principal having sex with a prostitute and he's like i'm gonna tell the school and i'm gonna tell your wife and give me money you know classic blackmail setup it's it's whatever so this is where they are now and then we have mark come back and he flies in and he goes to his old house and, you know, he has to sit down with his dad, and we see the shadow of his mom on the wall. And she's dead. He didn't even come back for the funeral. You know, he stayed away all this time, and he's coming back now. He talks to his dad, and he just, you know, revisits his room. And it's the same room that was in Train Spotting 1, the narrow room with the, the green dresser. And... He finds, you know, some old, some old drugs that he had stashed under the dresser, still, still there, because his mom kept the room exactly the way that he had left it. She always hoped that he'd come back, and and he starts to play a record, and you know he can't handle it. It's it's either too happy for the time, or it's just it reminds him of stuff that he doesn't want to listen to, or for some reason he stops the record, and you know he goes out and. He goes to visit Spud, who's in the process of killing himself, and he puts a bag over his head and is suffocating himself. I believe he also probably took some pills. And 
we we get a very nice visual of of Spud in a chair in one of the chairs from his uh you know addiction uh, anonymous group one of the circle one of those chairs from those circles that they sit in he's in that and he falls off this building and he's falling in slow motion off this building in actuality what's happening is he's suffocating to death on the plastic bag and Mark's you know knocking on the door and then he realizes what's going on I feel like his name is Mark, and I keep saying it. I'm not sure if it is, and all I know for sure is that it's Ewan McGregor. <laughs> I keep, I'm really bad with names in person and in movies, and usually I'm just like this actor, because that's a name that stays constant. When they're playing a different character, the name changes, but it's still the same actor, so I can use the same actor's name all the time. Anyway, uh, I'm going to go with Ewan McGregor from now on. Uh, Ewan McGregor is pounding on the door, realizes Spud's trying to kill himself, and he breaks down the door, and then he enters the room, grabs Spud, and in a disgusting scene of humor and just disgustingness, uh, Spud vomits, and the bag is around his head, so all of the vomit stays in the bag around his head, and he vomits about twice twice, two times, three times, something like that, and then Ewan McGregor rips the bag, and in a disgusting display of what can only be a symbolic rebirth, Spud exits the bag covered in sick, which is not unlike the birth of a child. <laughs> and and it's a very very symbolic moment. Um it's very obviously symbolic. Uh you, you don't you don't even have to look for symbolism to find that that looks very much like being born. Um the head just exiting anything sort of makes it look like you're being born, but especially because he had just almost died. So you have the juxtaposition of symbolism in a rebirth and and the and the attempted suicide and it's it's very it's a very nice scene. All of all of all of that bit. The the surreal spud falling off the 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 building in the chair, Ewan McGregor jumping and catching him, and the rebirth, you know, the plastic bag rebirth. And I, and I feel like that's actually, you know, a little bit of a, co- a comment. Um, Not a little bit, a lot. He's reborn in plastic and vomit into the world. And the way everything is and the way everything was, that's, that's probably not an untrue metaphor. At least, you know, it it seems like it isn't for this movie. From there, uh, Ewan McGregor reconnects with Sick Boy, who's now going by Simon, and they fight it out in Simon's bar uh, because uh, because Ewan McGregor stole all the money and left, betrayed all of his best friends, and left, 
and then, you know, uh, they sort of are okay. And Simon reveals to his his girl that he is going to make Ewan McGregor pay. He's going to befriend him and destroy him, essentially. Then we come to find out that Ewan McGregor's life has been shit. Um, his wife's divorcing him, and he lost his job, and he's got a heart thing going on, and he's got to restart at, you know, 40. Because he has no, doesn't have a degree, he entered the workforce as, you know, whatever, whatever low-entry job he was at and rose up to whatever he was doing now he got fired at that so now he's got to restart and it's it's something that we see a lot nowadays um and not so much now i i don't think um there's not a lot uh, well comparatively there are less layoffs now than there were you know say in 2008 uh the the great recession of our time uh, and by our time, I mean the 2000s onward. Um, so it's 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 not untrue. It was pretty. It is timely, and and there's a lot a lot of that has happened. A lot of that is happening, and restarting at such an age as that is is very difficult um when it's already difficult for people who are just starting to start it's exceptionally difficult for people who need to restart to start uh because you know younger workforce able to do more older workforce you've got a little more restrictions depending on what kind of condition their body's in but every everyone needs money cuz everyone needs to live and that's that's the that's about the size of it. Um, I spent a lot of time rambling in the beginning, and I don't want to continue dragging this out for y'all. For the three of you who are listening to this, I value your ears. I want to titillate them and pleasure your brain, but I do not want to drag out. A, a rambling conversation of me just talking about nothing uh, for for too long, uh, because all that this is is talking about nothing. But I, I, I have limits to the length of how long you have to listen to me talking about nothing. Uh, again, I'm your, I'm your rambly friend on the phone who won't shut the fuck up, but I will shut the fuck up at some points. My my main my main takeaway from Trainspotting Two was it, it's an excellent film. If you haven't seen it, nor uh, Trainspotting One, go and see them both right now. Just just go, run away from whatever you're listening to this on. Find Trainspotting One and Two, and watch them. You know, if you're listening on your phone, just drop it, and then run. People around you will freak the fuck out. They'll think that something is going to kill them and you. Because who drops their phone in this day and age? It's it's the lifeline. 
But the main takeaway from Train Spotting 2 was that at the end of Train Spotting, we had almost a feel good ending, as we talked about at the beginning of this. And in Train Spotting 2, we had Ewan McGregor, who had run away from everything and gone someplace we thought would be good for him, you know, get away from that life. He comes back to the life. And we have at the ending of Trainspotting 2, we have Spud is the only one who is improving their circumstances. He, uh, you know, betrays his friends, <laughs> gets money for his wife and kids, and starts writing his stories down. And we have one of those, you know, loop it back to the beginning, oh, this story is actually written by one of the characters. This You are watching the writings of the people in the in one of those sort of situations, which I'm not against. Um, I feel like it was done well in this case. I liked it in this case. And uh, there are certain movies where they try to do that, you know. Oh, by the way, I, I wrote this book called exactly the title of whatever you're watching. And then it's like, oh, and it's about my life. And it's like, all right, well, we know what that is trying to imply. And sometimes it doesn't come off well. Sometimes it doesn't work well. Sometimes it's just a shitty cop-out. And here, I didn't feel like it was. I felt like it was pretty okay. Um, it is sort of unexpected that Spud would be the one to write the stories down. But then at the same time, it's not. Uh, Sick Boy wouldn't. Begbie wouldn't. Ewan McGregor wouldn't waste his time. <laughs> They're just stories about his life. He doesn't find himself all too interesting. That's that's how he views himself. And Spud doesn't find himself all too interesting, but he finds his friends all too interesting. Um, Spud, I think, is is the favorite character because he's the he's the underdog that comes out on top now. You know, and he's he's the one that you empathize with. He's a little slow, and you don't want anything bad to happen to him, even though he's in a crowd of bad people and doing bad things. And the ending of Trainspotting 2 sticks us almost back in the middle of Trainspotting 1. Simon and Ewan McGregor, or Johnny Lee Miller and Ewan McGregor are friends again. Sitting on a couch, doing nothing. You know, wasting their life away. They're 40, 40-somethings, 40 doing nothing, you know. Acting like teenagers, just, just shitting the years that they have left away. You know, Ian McGregor could have gone for, uh, what's her name? McDon Kelly McDonald. He could have gone for that. He settled for less and, and even lost out on that. You know, he, it's an ending that even though, you know, the the final image that we see is, is Ewan McGregor dancing like he did before to the record that he couldn't play before in his room as the room becomes this massive tunnel and it just grows longer and longer and longer and longer. And at the end of the tunnel is Ewan McGregor dancing. And we can't see him anymore, but we know that, that that he's there, you know, at the end of the tunnel. And it's... He's back where he started. He, you know, he's back with his, his 
his old house, his his net his net geographic footprint is zero. He's back where he started, you know. Uh, if he were to die today, he would have gone zero feet, you know, in in net net uh, net movement. I took one physics class, and now that's how I refer to movement. If it goes anywhere, or if it doesn't go anywhere, no matter if you go in between where you started and where you end up, and the closest line between the two connecting, that's your net movement. There you go. You learned something today. But I like the Trainspotting 2 just shit all over Trainspotting 1 without shitting all over Trainspotting 1. People who've watched it may get a different feel from it. And, and I'm not saying that it's like, oh, whatever moral or whatever lesson that you learned in Trainspotting 1, not that there was 100% one, you know, sort of just like whoever you are is who you are, no matter what you're on. Uh, I'm going to put that on a shirt too. Whoever you are is who you are, no matter what you're on. It's going to be it's going to be a, a best selling shirt it's going to be cool look for it in stores near you but i'm not saying the transpotting 2 shit on transpotting 1 in the fact that it was like you know oh by the way forget all of that no transpotting 2 took us through a long process of setting up by the way we're restarting and no progress has been made character wise except for spud Begby's still violent. He goes back to jail. Simon and Simon and Mark are still doing nothing. They might be back on heroin. They they did do heroin that one night. Uh, one one of the nights. Um, both of them had been clean, and then both of them did heroin. Uh, obviously Simon was on cocaine throughout the entire film, but clean of heroin. So. <laughs> If that's, you know, you take the tiny victories. But the only character development we have this time is Spud. Everybody else is back where they were. And I like that. Uh, because it because it's upsetting. <laughs> if that makes sense. I, I, I don't always like for my films to be upsetting. I don't always want to be upset by my films or just like, come on, that's that's ridiculous. But in this case, I liked it because uh, it added an aspect of realism. Um, and for <laughs> for train spotting, <laughs> realism is not something that is lacking. There, there is just a lot of Oh, gratuitous grossness that makes it very realistic and just well, you know, vomiting in a bag after you try to suffocate yourself to death. That's not necessarily something you needed in there. It was a little comedic. It, I mean, it was a lot comedic, but it's real. Because if you're choking, you're going to throw up. Not all the time, necessarily. But if you're choking, you have the ability to throw up. And if you throw up, 
while there's a plastic bag around your face, well, it's not going anywhere. It's going to go all around your face. And from that aspect, it is real. But I just felt that in this case, the irritating fact that nobody has made any character progression was in the spirit of train spotting. And it was a good ending. It it felt it felt unfulfilling and fulfilling at the same time, which is very much what we get from train spotting in general. And in that respect I felt that it was very it was very true to itself and a good sequel. I liked it a lot. I also noticed something while I was watching it, and I don't know if I was just willfully inserting something that shouldn't have been there into the movie because I wanted to see something symbolic, but um, the license plate of Johnny Lee Miller's car, Simon, of uh, Simon's car is B, the number 9, and an MTNG. Or else it's just MTG. Um, either way. B, the number 9 MTG, I believe. Which I took to mean, and doesn't mean that it does mean this, but to me, what that represented was B9, benign, oh yeah, pretty straightforward, MTG, meeting, benign meeting, which is what Ewan McGregor, or Mark, what he was embarking on. He was just going to say hey to Spud, you know. No ulterior motives, no no reason other than, you know, just to say hey to an old friend. Somebody that he, he thought that he had done right by a benign meeting of two old friends. That's what it was, and it ended so catastrophically. Well, not catastrophically, it just took away all that he had worked to to build up to get rid of you know he had he had worked at running away from all of his problems which i guess the message you could take away is that if you run away from your problems eventually they're going to catch up to you and that you will have to face them at some point and if you face them head on then you'll be able to overcome them Sort of like Spud was doing when he was writing down all of his stories. He's facing them head on and he's able to you know, rise above his situation in life. Maybe that's a, a message that you can take away from Trainspotting too. But to me it was just interesting that the license plate says what I took to mean. A benign meeting, which is what we started with. And then, you know, a dissension into shit <laughs> once more. <laughs> And I liked it. I liked it a lot. It's the baby will forever haunt my dreams. And there was a reference to the baby. But there was no terror nightmare stuff like the baby on the wall. That transpotting one had, but it was a, it was it was a great 
It was a great movie. It was good. I liked it a lot. And I've said that already. And so, with that, ladies and gentlemen, gentle fish and gentle women, we come to the end of the Tuesday podcast broadcast to you today for your listening pleasure to pleasure your ear holes and titillate your brain. And next week's topic, who knows? I don't know. And you don't either. (laughs) 